Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I've asked Kathy to join me up here for a few minutes because uh, we want to share a little bit um, from what is really our story. It's not just my story. Uh, it is our story. I'm very grateful to, uh, that, to God for restoring my health to a point that I could even be back here uh, today and, uh, and that I have this lady beside me um, because she's going to fill in some blanks that I can't fill in truthfully, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And so um, I want to begin our time together, however, by reading a passage of scripture that God uh, planted in my heart back in the early 80s through a, a message that somebody handed me on a cassette tape and has been using ever since in many ways, but used predominantly um, during the time that I was hospitalized. And uh, it'll make sense, I hope, before the message is over what that's about. But I want to read it to you. We're going to be in 2 Samuel today. Uh, we'll be mostly in chapter 3. We'll back up into chapter 2. We'll jump back to Joshua. We'll, we'll use God's word, okay? So we'll, we'll be around in God's word a little bit. But our anchor passage is going to be uh, found in 2 Samuel chapter uh, uh, 3, verses 32 and 33. And it says this, Abner, and I'll tell you more about him in a minute, but Abner was buried at Hebron. And the king, this is King David, wept aloud at the grave, and so did all the people, the whole nation. David sang this lament for Abner. Why did Abner have to die like a fool? Now, again, I, I need to fill in some blanks as to why God brought this passage to me. And, and some of you have been thinking, wonder what he's going to say his first day back. Some of you even asked me, what are you going to talk about your first day back? Well, this is it. Um, and uh, I think the, the Lord led me to this because he just kept bringing this passage to my mind uh, multiple over the course of multiple days. And like I said, Kathy needs to fill in some blanks. So I need to back up for a moment. Some of you, most of you, I think know that I had a cardiac event back on July the 17th. Um, I went down. I did not know at the time, but what they told me I had was I had a condition called aortic stenosis uh, brought on by what was most likely a congenital Congenital heart defect, um, I had a bicuspid aortic valve instead of a tricuspid let, that most people have, uh, but I had no idea, and I didn't even know what that meant a, at the time. But uh, that evening, Kathy and I had finished uh, eating dinner, and then um, Kathy went out to water some plants, and I went out to do some work, and if you remember the middle of July, that even in the evening, you know, uh, with a... With the temperatures, it could still hang out. The real field, they would tell you, were upper 90s, low 100s. And so that's what I was, we were out working kind of in. And I was loading some heavy stuff back into the back of my truck. And I had climbed up in the back of my truck. Um, and once I, I, I got up there, I began feeling lightheaded. And my breathing started to be labored as I was moving this stuff around. And I know this is kind of gross just before lunch, but I was a little belchy. I think from the big dinner that I had eaten, and, and it was exasperated by the heat. But I wasn't like having pain anywhere. I didn't have that numbness thing that people associate with a, a heart event. Um, but I decided I could either get down out of the truck or I could fall out of the truck. And so I made a decision, let's do the get down thing. And by the grace of God, I was able to do that. And I thought, you know, I'm going to head in the house, just get under a fan, sit in one of my favorite chairs and, and chill out for a minute. And I'll come back and finish this job. And um, so I, I, I kind of did. I made my way to, uh, to the back door of our house. And about the time I put my hand on the doorknob, I realized I am not going to make it to that chair over there. 
And so uh, I opened the door, I took a step, slipped my shoes off, um, and took one more step and got down on my hands and knees. And I, I, I rolled over on my back, um, decided I'd close my eyes for, for uh, you know, just a few minutes and, and, and rest and, and catch myself. Um, and this is where Kathy has to fill in some blanks. So, as Joe was loading the truck back up, as he said, I was out watering flowers in the backyard. I saw him basically sprinting into the sunroom, looking like he was about to be sick. And when I saw him going down, and I'm telling you, it was not as graceful as he just tried to make it sound. <laughs> I threw the hose and I ran into the house. And I'll be honest, I don't know how anyone who doesn't know the Lord faces a situation like this. I don't know who they call on. Because I tell you, I was calling out the Lord's name as I was running and asking for help. I knelt down beside him and realized that he was unresponsive. And the sounds that I was hearing told me he was leaving me. And I am not normally an overdramatic person, but I had this thought run through my head. So this is how this story ends. I started to try and find a pulse, but decided I needed to get help. Thankfully, we are still a rather antiquated couple. And we still have a landline in our house. So there was a phone not so far from me, so I didn't have to go looking for my telephone. When I got the 911 operator, I was explaining what had happened and asking her to please send an ambulance. Um, as I was describing what Joe had done, um, I said, yes, yes, I do need an ambulance. And at that moment, Joe opened his eyes and he said something like, what is going on? I don't need an ambulance. All I could say was, thank you, God. He is talking to me. And she said, I heard what he said, but that doesn't matter. Do you need me to send an ambulance? And he kept insisting that he was fine, that he did not need an ambulance. And being the submissive wife that I am, I reluctantly told her that I would take him to the ER. I had no idea how hard it was going to be to convince him that he really needed to go get checked out. He kept saying, they're just going to tell me I had bad indigestion and send me home. And I said, okay, that's fine with me. <laughs> so I'm still convinced. You know, I wake up and I don't need no ambulance um, because I'm convinced that I had gracefully laid down and, you know, took a little nap, just needed, a, you know, a little reprieve there. And... Uh, so after, you know, Kathy hung up with a 911 operator and I, I kind of got a cheer over, put my feet up in it, I, I slowly began to recover. Um, and all the while, I'm still not recognizing what had happened to me. I, I'm still, it, it just has not registered in my pea brain yet that I had dropped out, quit breathing, gurgled, all that kind of fun stuff. And um, so, you know, uh, Kathy just kept saying something about the ER and I'm thinking, okay, you know, we'll go, bad digestion. Uh, but I finally started feeling normal again, so I decided I'm going to go finish what I was doing. So against her wishes, went outside, closed the truck up, locked it up, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, I know some of you husbands may be getting elbowed right now because your wives are thinking, that sounds like the crazy guy I'm married to as well. And, um, but I anyway, when I came back in, Kathy kept saying she needed to take me to the ER. And she reminded me of a couple of kind of similar events that had taken place earlier in the summer where I got kind of overly winded and 
but again, I just attributed it always to, to the heat because it was hot out there and, you know, I was an old man now and a little overweight. And, but she, she said that wasn't the, the truth, she, that there was something more going on. I kept trying to convince her that I didn't need to go. But after a few times, she, she said this, Joe, you don't know what it was like. You don't know what I went through. And when I saw the look in her eye when she would say it, kind of the fear that was, and more, I'd say more concerned than fear, really, um, I finally said, okay, I'll go, knowing they're going to send me home. And um, she said, I'm okay with that. Uh, and so we get to the hospital, and they chose not to send me home. Um, they started hopping around in the ER. It was kind of funny to watch. Uh, the physician came to me pretty quickly, uh, and he mentioned this thing called aortic stenosis. I had no idea what that meant. Uh, and then he came back and said, I just consulted with a cardiologist down at Roper. Um, he's getting a room ready for you. It'll be ready when you get there. And the next thing I knew, I was in the back of an ambulance being transported downtown instead of in the back of the car being taken back home. And that began this kind of unbelievable next two weeks of being in the hospital. And um, I'm going to let Kathy go now because she's ready to, to go, if you can't tell. And um, as she is leaving, if you would, uh, uh, thank her for saving my life. <laughs> um, see, over the course of the next several days, I'm going to rearrange the furniture here. And I'm in cardiac rehab, so I'm per I have permission to do this now. Um, although Kathy still freaks out when I pick stuff up. Uh, you know, over the course of the next several days, if, if you've ever, you know, been hospitalized, you end up having to tell your story to almost every medical professional who comes in. And so I had to tell it to my cardiologist. I had to tell it to the person who would eventually become the surgeon that did open-heart surgery on me. I had to tell it to all the cardiac nurses on the floor that I was on when a new head nurse would come on duty. And almost to the T, all of them would say when I would tell them the story... Uh, that most people who experience what you experience never get up. And you would not have gotten up if this had happened another time. And uh, several of them pointed out that it, had it not been for my wife's persistence, uh, I probably wouldn't be here today, and that she ha had saved my life. And, um, and, and they just went on uh, about that. And every time those words would come out of their mouth that most people who experience what you went through don't survive and you would have not survived another one. Second Samuel chapter 3 verse 33 would just run through my mind. This passage about this guy's funeral service and the king, King David, saying these words. I'm going to read them again. Abner was buried at Hebron and the king wept aloud at the grave and so did all the people. And David sang this lament for Abner. Why did Abner have to die like a fool? This was a eulogy done at this guy's funeral. A few verses down. David said, the king said to the officials, don't you realize that this day a great leader had died in Israel? See, Abner was a leader uh, among his people. Now, in, in order to understand the story in it, all its fullness, I need to introduce you to kind of the, the cast of characters, if you would. But before I do that, I want to remind you of something that you have heard me say, uh, hopefully more than once. And if not, you're going to hear it more and more. This book, the Bible, the, the Word of God, is, is all about Jesus. 
Everything in it points to Jesus. From cover to cover, it points to Jesus. The, the theme of every historical account that is recorded in this book is about salvation, which has to do with how can I be right with a holy God? And God chose to pack this book from Genesis 1 through Revelation chapter 22 filled with accounts that point to Jesus. Every biblical account does that. Now, in the biblical account that we look at today, there are a few important folks to grab hold of, so the storyline kind of captures your heart. Um, again, the man giving the eulogy is this guy named David, King David. He's the, the king of, at, at this moment during the funeral, he's the king of the consolidated nation. But before this happens, they were in the middle of civil war. Okay, we'll, get, we'll back up into that in a minute. Now, King David had a general, the commander of his forces. His name was Joab. Important that you know who Joab is. He's going to come up again. Well, they had, the, the country had been divided, uh, and King David was kind of battling King Saul, who God had rejected as leader. And so the northern tribes were on the side of King Saul. The southern tribe of Judah were, had gone with King David. In this fight. And so King Saul had a general too, and his name was Abner. That is who David is lamenting in that, that eulogy that he's giving. And, and he declares that Abner dies a foolish death. Why? Well, when we look at Abner, kind of in real time, he was a guy at this time who was about in his middle ages. By the action of the story, we see that he had to be in pretty good health and uh, pretty much physically fit for a guy because he was still a, a valiant warrior. But the scriptures say he died foolishly. Now, to understand this, we got to back up and look at kind of the, the history leading up to this, that, that civil war that was going on. And the two households of King David and King Saul that, that were battling. Now Saul, uh, King Saul at this point had died, but the, the civil war was still going on. And Abner was kind of, quite frankly, leading the nation, um, the, the northern tribes. And, uh, and he, was, he was the general. And David's armies under the leadership of General Joab kept defeating over and over again, bringing more and more victories over Abner and the, the, the northern nations. Well, Abner realizes that um, what's going on, and he makes the decision to bring the northern tribes under the authority of King David. And so he goes to King David. You can go back and read about this in, in 2 Samuel 2. He, he, he brings the other tribes in, and he makes a covenant with David, and uh, the civil war basically ends at that moment. Joab doesn't know that. Remember, he's uh, the, the general for the forces of David. He's out fighting battles. He doesn't know this has taken place. And so when he comes back to town, he's livid. He, he basically goes ballistic and begins to pursue Abner. He's heard that Abner had been there and that he, that he left. Why? Why is he so hot on, on Abner's trail? If you go further back into uh, the second chapter of, uh, of 2 Samuel, one of the things that you'll find out is that Abner, I believe, unintentionally killed Joab's little brother, Asahel, during kind of the battle. And, and basically what has happened is Abner 
was fighting against the troops of David, losing the battle, and kind of orders the retreat. And so Abner, along with his army, is kind of running away from the battle. He's been defeated, but he hears footsteps behind him. And as he is running, he looks back and he realizes that the, the, the young man who is chasing him is, is Azahel. And so I want you to pick it up and see it uh, in the scripture. We're not going to read everything there, but I'll just give you some context. 2 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 20. It says, when Abner looked back and saw him coming, he called out, is that you, Asahel? Yes, it is, he replied. Go fight someone else, Abner warned. Take on one of the younger men, strip him of his weapons. But Asahel kept right on chasing Abner. Again, Abner shouted to him, get away from here. I don't want to kill you. How could I ever face your brother Joab again? Now, here's what I want you to realize. Abner realized that there would be great danger if he killed Asahel. That he would be in grave danger of uh, the wrath of, of Abner, if you would. Um, and so just kind of so that you get to know a little bit about Asahel, look at verse 18. It has, says Asahel could run like a gazelle. D- dude was a track star. He was kind of known as being, you know, lightning fast in the nation of Israel. And so uh, Abner would have known this. And he would have realized, though he was a strong, valiant warrior, I ain't go out and run this dude that's chasing me. I can't convince him to, you know, leave me alone and go after somebody else. You know, it would have been a, a great trophy to have the shield and sword of General Abner, you know, kind of thing for Asahel. But he tries to convince him, but the guy is relentless. He won't. And Abner knows he's going to have to do something to defend himself. And so while they're running, the Bible tells us that Abner takes his, his spear that he's running with He thrusts it backwards, I think, to kind of knock the guy off his feet or something like that. But the Bible tells us in in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 23, look what it says. It says, but Asahel refused to turn back. So Abner thrust the butt end of his spear through Asahel's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. He stumbled through the ground, and he died there. And everyone who came to that spot stopped and stood still when they saw Asahel lying there. Now, Abner has killed the baby brother of the general of the forces of King David, Joab. And uh, Joab finds out about this, and that's why when he hears that Abner had been in town making a pact with David, goes ballistic, and he and his brother take off after him. They begin giving, giving pursuit uh, to this. Um, there was a law in Israel that actually at this time permitted a relative to take the life of someone who killed their relative. And it was called, they they became known as the avenger of blood. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 19 if you want to go back and study that, you know, maybe later this week. But the next of kin would be, you know, have this title, the avenger of blood, and they could legally put that person to death and exacting justice, basically. Um, and that's what it was called. And so 2 Samuel 2.24 tells us that when Joab and Abishai found out what had happened, they set out after Abner. Abner knows he's a hunted man. Abner realizes the danger that he is in. He realizes there's kind of a sentence of death uh, on his head. But how does he die? Like a fool. 
Remember, that's what King David had declared about Abner, that he had done this. Well, if you look a few verses earlier in verse 27, it said when Abner arrived back at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak with him privately. But then he stabbed Abner in the stomach and killed him in revenge for killing his brother Asahel. Here's what basically happens. Joab catches up with Abner in the city of Hebron. And Joab steps just outside the city gate and calls Abner. Hey, Abner, c- come here for a minute. I got something I want to talk to you about privately. And Abner walks out the city gate, just a few steps, and right there, Joab kills him. And for those of you that know anything about kind of ancient history and ancient cities and those kind of things, the city gate's like one of the busiest places. Uh, during the day of, of, of a town or, or a village just outside the city gate. And it's right there that Abner died. And it broke King David's heart. One, that he died, but two, that he died that way. Remember, David had just made a covenant with Abner that ended the civil war. And there was peace among the people of God for the first time in a long time. And so David's heart is broken over this tragic loss of Abner, this guy who had for a good while been an enemy who had become a great ally. And and David realized that Abner had made it to this city called Hebron. And because of that should still be alive if he hadn't stepped out the city gate. Because Joab would have known and Abner would have known that Joab would not kill him within the city walls of Hebron Because God had established Hebron, along with some other cities, as a city of refuge. Now, you can read about this in in the Word of God. God had, about 400 years earlier, commanded his people to establish what were called cities of refuge. And if anybody was being pursued by somebody who was the avenger of blood, and they they knew that they had only killed somebody in self-defense, they could run to one of these cities and, and, have, and ask for a trial so that they couldn't just be, be quickly killed. Joshua chapter 20, verse 1 through 3 tells us something about it. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, now tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed Moses. Anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally can run to one of those cities. They will be places of refuge from relatives seeking revenge for the person who was killed. Verse 7 names some of those cities. And if you know anything about the map of Israel, they're basically spread out all over the nation. Verse 9 says, these cities were set apart for all Israelites as well as foreigners living among them. Anyone who accidentally killed another person could take refuge in one of those cities. In this way, they could escape being killed in revenge prior to standing trial before the local assembly. Hebron was a city of refuge. Abner had fled there. Joab followed him and did not try to exact vengeance in the city. So what does he do? Again, go back, verse 27. It said, when Abner arrived back at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak to him privately. There's this, he wants to have this private conversation, and it's right there. Just outside the protection of God, just outside that place of refuge, that Abner dies. All he would have had to do was just stay two or three steps back. Do you understand why David said he died like a fool? Abner knew this. Joab knew this. He was right outside this place 
of refuge. Now, here's kind of an interesting thing to me about that story and the life we live today. Because I believe that many people believe that they are eternally secure for false reasons. They believe that they believe they're inside the city of refuge when really they may only be two or three steps outside. There are people believe, who believe that they're right with God because their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. You know, the, some people believe, well, I'm just, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And they think that's what saves them eternally. They think that's what makes them right with God and puts them in the refuge of God's protective care. But it's a lie. That is not what makes you right with God. Only through Jesus can anybody be made right with God. And so there are a lot of people deceived that way. And friends, like Abner, one of the things that we as Christ followers grow to know, we grow to know this, um, is that there is danger in that false narrative. We grow in danger clarity as we follow Jesus. The longer we walk with him, the more clear the danger of the lies in this world become to us. See, Abner knew, cognitively knew about the danger. In the scriptures, he even said, he said to Asahel, I don't want to have to face your brother. I know what that'll be like. It won't end well. He knew about the danger. He had danger clarity. In our walk with the Lord, we become more clear about the danger of what the Bible calls the eternal place of separation from God known as hell. The longer you follow Jesus, the more aware uh, that you'll become, uh, that there is true evil in this world, but that God himself has a plan for overcoming that evil. And that plan is just one plan. There's not a plan B. That plan is Jesus. And it doesn't matter how great you are here on earth. You know, you, you can be great and, and die as a fool. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable. And he tells this, this story about this wealthy guy who kind of surveys his fields and realizes, oh my goodness, when these crops come in, I'm not going to have enough room to store stuff. What do I do? And so he says, I'll tear down these little barns and I'll build me some big old barns. And then I'll have all this place for my stuff to grow and, and, and stay. And, and then he gets to the end and he says, basically, in effect, I'm going to get me a hammock. I'm going to sip me some lemonade. It's just going to be eat, drink, and be merry time now for me. And I'm just going to kick back and, and, and do that. And I'll just kind of stretch out to, and say, soul, life is good. Let's just get on about this living thing. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 20, that evening God said to him, fool, the night, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now, if Jesus had continued that parable a little further, I believe it would have gone something like this, that there would have been this big funeral. There would have been a lot of prominent people that showed up. They'd have said some, you know, really interesting things about here lies this successful man. There would have been, you know, lots of big old fancy cars following the hearse and all of that. But in the sight of God, that guy had died like a fool because he had stepped into eternity outside the place of refuge that God had created and given 
to us through Jesus. And so this was like a New Testament Abner, if you would. So the question that has to be asked in a moment like this is, how about you? How about you? Have you recently given some really deep consideration to the value of your soul? To the value of the place where you will spend eternity? And is it possible that you are just a few steps outside the place of refuge that God has given? You know, you may be somebody who grew up in church your whole life, but you've never trusted Jesus personally. You're trying to make it to heaven based on, you know, your grandma's faith or your mama's faith or somebody else's faith. You, you, you've not publicly trusted Christ. You're not living for him in a public way. You've not given your heart and, and, and life to him. See, friends, Jesus is for all humanity. Are you, are you dwelling in the place of refuge that is Jesus? Or are you out just outside the gate? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, that the righteous man runs into it and is safe. What that means is the person who's been made right with God runs to Jesus. The Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. His name is a strong tower. You can be made right with God through calling on Jesus and, and choosing to make him your Savior and Lord. He will become your refuge, anyone who calls on his great name. Don't leave this life just outside God's place of refuge, just a few steps away and it's easy to do if your focus is on what the world offers see jesus asked this question in mark chapter 8 verse 36 and 37 he said and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul is anything jesus asked more valuable than your soul than that eternal dwelling place of your soul that that eternal destination don't die like a fool. Give yourself to Jesus. And you can do that right now if you never have. Just right where you're seated, you can just, you can just say to the Lord. You can just bow your head and, and, and just speak silently to the Lord and say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died to save all humanity, including me, from my sin. And I am putting my trust in you. I'm not going to trust anything else. I'm not going to trust in, in, you know, my church life. I'm not going to trust in, you know, my family life. I'm not going to trust in anything. I'm going to trust in you alone, Jesus. And the Bible says when you do that, you shall be saved. You will have entered that place of refuge. But Abner, the Bible tells us, died like a fool. And I believe he died like a fool because he gave into an alluring deception. Look, look again at verse 27 of chapter 3. It says, when Abner arrived back at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak to him privately. Now, can you picture this? Joab is inside the city of Hebron. Abner is inside the city of Hebron. And Joab wants to avenge his brother's death. And he knew he can't do it inside the city. He, he, he just can't do it. He'd be breaking the law of God. So this is what basically the Bible says he does. He just takes a couple of steps outside the city gate and says, 
Hey, Az, what's up, dude? Good to see you, man. Been missing you. Come here, man. I got something I want to tell you in private. And after, takes those two or three steps outside the city gate, crosses that line, and Joab terminates him. Just, just, just right there in, in that moment. Now, friends, Abner did not get to where he was in life by being foolish normally. He was deceived, I believe, by Joab. And he stepped out, out from that protection of refuge that God had provided just outside the city because he was deceived. And in King David's eulogy, he points that out. If you, if you read a little further down to verse 33 and 34, it said, David sang this lament for Abner. Why did Abner have to die for a fool? And then he gives a description. His hands were not tied. His feet were not bound. But he died like somebody that was killed by criminals. And the people wept for him again. See, Joab killed Abner through deception. And I wonder, how many really smart men, how many really brilliant women are going to die, separated from God, and spend eternity apart from him because they were deceived, simply deceived by the enemy? Friends, the Bible speaks with great clarity about this. And here's something else that Christ followers grow to know we grow to recognize that great deception we grow to recognize that great deceiver as we follow jesus in revelation chapter 12 verse 9 the bible tells us and the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who is called the devil and satan who deceives the whole world that's what satan does he deceives the whole world that they don't need to be in that refuge they don't need Jesus as, as their refuge. That They'll be fine without him. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says this in verse 4. Satan, who is the God of this world. Paul was saying, Satan, he, he's, he's, he's running amok on this world and he, he's, he's lied to people. Look what he goes on to say. He's blinded their minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Friends, what Paul is saying is we live in a world that is greatly deceived by Satan. Just like Abner was deceived by Joab. And friends, this kind of deception is hard to break through. And many are led to eternal death and separation from God. Many of the people that we go to school with, that we live, work, and, and play with these folks, the evil one has gotten to them. The evil one has blinded them. They, they think that Satan is their friend and God is their enemy. That, that's how deceived the world is. And it just blows my mind that people, you know, somehow think of God that way. That, and, and think that the life of following Jesus is the hard way. Unfortunately, too often they get that idea from us. Because of the way we present life in the kingdom of God. But that's not the life of somebody who's truly following Jesus. See, people don't get that from the Bible. 
People don't get that idea from, from, from Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, come unto me. If, if, if life is weighing you down, if you're heavy laden, if you're burdened, come to me. Jesus said, I'll give you rest. He goes on to say, my teachings are not heavy. They're not, they're not burdensome. Come and, and learn from me, Jesus said. He said, I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You can find rest in me for your souls. Life in the kingdom of God is not hard. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, the thief, speaking about Satan, he comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I've come to give you life right now, eternal life, abundant life. See, it's not hard to be a follower of Jesus. It's actually harder to be apart from him. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15 says, the way of the unfaithful, that's the hard way. That's, that's hard. Now, Please hear me say this, because I don't want you to come back and say, Joe, you didn't tell me the whole story. Here's the rest of the story. When you follow Jesus, there will be sacrifice that you'll have to make. That's just the truth. But let me ask you a question. What out there that you can follow isn't going to call you to sacrifice something? Everything in this life which you will follow, you will have to sacrifice something. What you've got to ask yourself, is it worth the sacrifice? Is, is, is that worth the sacrifice based on the payoff? Is, is it really going to be worth it? See, the devil will deceive you. The Bible says he comes to us as an angel of light. He's going to be the one smiling at you, getting you to take those few steps outside of the refuge that God provides in Jesus. That's who he's going to be. Don't be deceived. Don't, don't be deceived. Jesus is the only true place of refuge. The only one. Back to our story. Verse 32. We've read this. Abner was buried at Hebron. The king wept aloud at the grave and so did all the people. Friends, here's a reality. I don't care how many people shed how many tears at, at your funeral. It's not going to change your eternity. I don't care if if, if the king, if the president shows up at your funeral and weeps and leads the entire nation to weep, at that moment, Abner was gone. It was over for, for Abner. All they could do was grieve. King David's son, King Solomon, who the Bible tells us was the wisest man who, who lived, wrote these words that are recorded in Ecclesiastes 3. They're strange words in the Bible, but give me a second to unpack them. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 3 says this, In the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Oh? You know, you got to say, what's that about? How many of you have ever gone on YouTube and watched um, tree falling fails? There are these videos where people who probably shouldn't own a chainsaw decide that they're going to cut a tree down in their yard. And so they do. And at the last minute, as they often do, the tree twists just ever so slightly and the tree lands on their neighbor's house or their neighbor's car or their own house. And every now and then one of those videos captures the expression on the face of the one who just cut that tree. And it is horrific. You know, it is just horrific because they realize no matter what they do now, where that tree falls is where it is going 
to lie. See, the point that God is making, I believe, in Scripture is this, is when a person dies, their destiny is fixed. Where their life falls, that is where it is going to lay. After death, there's no changing it. And this is something that Christ's followers begin to get greater clarity on as we walk with the Lord. We begin to realize that today's decisions set eternal destinations. That once death comes, eternity is decided. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, Inasmuch as it is pointed uh, for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. And friends, we've got to do all we can to help others know this. To help break the power of the great deceiver and the great deception that they're under. People that we work and play and and engage with in life and this needs to start at home it's got to start at home God's word tells us in Proverbs chapter 22 that we need to raise up children in the way they should go and when they're old they will not turn from it if you have children still living at home let me ask you a question are you Investing as much time in your child's pursuit of Jesus as you are in their pursuit of athletics. See, friends, it's a legitimate question. Because once that tree begins to fall, it is hard to change where it lands. It's hard to change it mid-fall. Are, are you making that investment that is the best investment for your kids' sake? You've got to remember this gospel story of Abner, how easily he was deceived. He was just a few short steps away from a place of refuge. Back to verse 27. It said, when Abner arrived at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak with him in private, but then he stabbed him. Inside the city gate was the place of refuge, not outside. Two or three steps made all the difference. The Bible tells us, Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever comes through me will be saved. Friends, Jesus is God's place of refuge. Jesus is the only real place of refuge in this broken world. One of the headlines that came through on my news feed yesterday was about a Tennessee teacher who three weeks earlier had raped one of her 12-year-old students and had been arrested. And then yesterday she got re-arrested because she texted this 12-year-old victim telling him that he was going to regret doing this. Friends, the the longer our culture is deceived and disconnected from the grace of God, the darker things are going to get. It's just just true. Until they see the real Jesus, we're going to see more unthinkable evil happening all, all around us. But here's the good news. We can turn back to God. Anyone can turn back to God in Jesus. 
He's the only answer to the profound darkness all around us. And, and this leads to one more thing that is true for those of us who follow Jesus. And I want to invite our worship team back up uh, now because I want to end on this. This is, this is th the last thing. Christ followers grow delighted to declare Jesus is the refuge from death. The more you walk with Jesus, the greater joy you should have to speak his name, to, to tell somebody else about the, the love and acceptance that you have found in, in Jesus, the, to, to, to speak of the refuge, the place of safety in this broken world that you ha have found in Jesus. There's no greater earthly joy than being a, a part of that as well as everlasting joy available to us. Nothing greater that brings joy than telling somebody about Jesus and, and watching as they trust him, as they begin to build their life on him. Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says something powerful. It says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner changes his heart and life. Friends, there is out of this world joy that is available to those of us who follow Jesus when we share Jesus. There is out of this world, mind-blowing, crazy joy that is available to us. Not, not some kind of passing happiness, but eternal joy. Based on the hope we have in Jesus. The love that we found in Jesus. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 28 says, the hope of the righteous brings joy. If you've been put right with God because of Jesus, you can bring great joy. You can bring Jesus, that he's the hope of people being made right with God. You and I can bring joy to a, a world desperate for something more than fleeting happiness. So if you want more joy in your life, if you want joy that doesn't go away, then, then you need to speak Jesus. Now, I, I used my recent cardiac event to manipulate the worship team to do something this morning. Last week when we were singing, I speak Jesus. I just, I just felt like the Lord said, you need to end next week on that song. You, you need to walk, people need to walk out at the end of this message with that on their tongues and in their mind and in their hearts that we're going to speak Jesus. And so I begged and pleaded and manipulated and I got my way. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to close on this. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I want to pray. And then we're going to, we're going to worship God and we're going to do it in a way where we're recommitting through song that we as God's people are going to speak Jesus. In all the places of darkness that we encounter, we're going to speak Jesus. We're going to be his people who take the hope that we found in Jesus, the love that we have from Jesus, and we're going to speak it. Pray with me. Father God, we come in the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus, remembering that you, oh God, have given us a place of refuge in him, a place of refuge in this moment and a place of refuge eternally. And we want to speak about Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you came to give us life, abundant life now. Thank you, Jesus, that for so many of us in this room, you called us out of our own darkness into your marvelous light. And we want to speak about you. 
And maybe you're here today, and maybe a short time ago, for the very first time, you said, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God now, and I'm going to put my trust in you, and I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly. And you can speak, Jesus, now. Jesus, we come. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that you are our refuge in the midst of a storm in a world that has gone crazy. We know that if hope and love and peace and beauty are going to be seen, it will come as people know you, Jesus, and who you truly are. So we come again deciding as your people to recommit ourselves afresh to speak your name everywhere we can. And it's in your name we celebrate and give thanks to do that. And all God's people said,